0: Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Kelts. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hey. Can we give a hint for the worship team this morning? Wow! Yeah. I'm telling you. We are blessed with uh, awesome musicians and people with awesome hearts of a servant to want to just bring God's people into the presence of God. And so, uh, man, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but. Uh, Oh, Chris over here is laying down on some licks this morning, doing pretty good. And uh, man, I just I just want to tell him that I appreciate him so much for putting in the time. And you know, he how long has it been since you started playing, Chris? You started here at the church, yeah. And he just you know he just came uh, and was like, "Man, I want to start. I want to start playing for God." And that's kind of how I started years and years ago. Uh, I learned to play the guitar. So that I could sing to my wife at our wedding, that was twenty years ago, and we then jumped into after that um, church, and we, we started to decide we want to go to church, and so I taught myself how to play the guitar on old like country western songs like Willie Nelson and those type of guys, and you can play those songs with three chords. You just not got to know D G. And C, that's all you gotta know, man. And G's the God chord, so that took me right into church pretty quick. And so, uh, anyway, I'm just so thankful. Listen, if you if there's a passion inside of you uh, that you're like, man, I, I just wanna, I wanna get up there at some point. I wanna be on the worship team. Uh, let us know. Jump in. Tell tell somebody. And, and we want to start getting that, uh, getting you working here in, in 2020, working towards that goal. And maybe you've never even played before. And start getting some lessons and. And go for it, Amen. And awesome. Well, uh, if you have your phones this morning, go ahead and get them out and uh, check on our Facebook. You're going to help provide a day of educa- uh, education, education, education. <laughs> and uh, go ahead and hashtag Hope for Haiti and um, hashtag Exchange Church. I am the Exchange. Uh, every ten check ins is going to provide a day of school for for some kids, so that is awesome. I'm gonna go ahead and silence my phone so this thing doesn't go off in the middle of the message today. Um, If you didn't hear the message, if you weren't here, you weren't able to watch it on Facebook last week, you need to go check it out. It was a masterpiece. I'm telling you, Pastor Jared brought a word. At At the first of every year, Pastor Jared comes in as our lead pastor and he gives us the direction. He sets the course. And it's something that he hasn't just decided, you know, oh my goodness, I don't know what to say. I'm just going to throw something out there. He really diligently seeks the Lord. He talks to us, uh, other leaders, and it's like, man, this is kind of what God's speaking to me. What's God speaking to you? And then it all comes together for this banner that you see over here and the message that I'm going to continue today. Everybody, say it with me, clarity. Come on, say it one more time, clarity. That's, that's where we're going this year. Uh, we've gone from beyond belief and uncharted territory, and now we're headed into clarity. And I'm not going to re preach uh, Pastor Jared's sermon. you got to go listen to it. It's so important that you do so that you, you know where we're going as a church. I'm just going to kind of add on to it. And I will say that last week he was saying that when he started to do research on on, um, what a lot of churches will probably do, and even a lot of businesses, because it's this year is 2020. And when you think of 2020, most people think of vision. They think of eyesight. And so, you know, uh, maybe perfect vision in 2020 will be some some, uh, people's label and what they're going, their banner this year. And when he started to do some study and research, he found out that 2020 vision is not perfect vision. It's actually just normal vision. Everybody say normal. And and that is kind of crazy. I was under the assumption too, Pastor, that 2020 vision, I have 2020 vision. I thought I would tell people I have perfect vision. What 2020 vision actually is, is it's just clarity. It's you being able to see from 20 feet clearly what you're supposed to be able to see from 20 feet. And so people that don't have 2020 vision, they're they're not normal. They don't have normal vision. They don't have one thing that they're lacking is and so this year we are moving into a year 2020 and for our church, that's what we're seeking God for. That's where we're moving towards is clarity. Everybody say clarity. 2020 vision indicates a clarity of vision. And so, I'm going to kind of continue what Pastor Jared started last week and I'm going to continue talking about clarity. But before we get there, I want to bring your attention. I'll put it up on the screen for you to a message that the Apostle Paul sent to a group of believers. So think about this. The Apostle Paul, he sends a message not to us, but the message goes out to a group of believers in Rome and this takes place 2000 years ago. So again, he didn't talk to you and me in America in 2020. This was two people. It was two or the original believers in Rome 2000 years ago. And this is what he says. In Romans 1:16, he says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel." You've probably heard this before. You've probably heard it preached before, but he says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, first, he says, but also to the Greek. And when this message was written to this group of believers 2,000 years ago in Rome, I, I want to tell you that it was taught to me differently, and I believe it was even mistranslated and misinterpreted to me when I was a kid, because my pastor would tell me, would read this message and say, Paul is speaking to you, Kevin, and he is speaking to you today, and he's saying, don't be ashamed. Have you ever heard this before? Like, if you believe in Christ, if you are a believer, if your soul is saved, Kevin, then you should not be ashamed of him, that you should go to everybody that you know, and you should declare the goodness of God." So don't be ashamed of him because he's not ashamed of you. So now go, go, go. Did anybody ever hear that before? Don't be ashamed. And this word ashamed is an interesting word because in modern times, we understand it as being embarrassed. Like don't be embarrassed of God. Or or we even understand it to be humiliated. Don't, Don't be humiliated of who you are, Christians. However, the scriptures Use of the word right here is, is not ashamed, it's not humiliated or embarrassed. What it literally means is disappointed. Everybody say disappointed. We're going to talk about that. Maybe 2019 was a year of disappointment for you. and We're going to talk about today maybe why and bring some clarity to what that means. In other words, this word ashamed, it meant like if you put your faith into something and then it didn't pan out. You, were left on the, you felt like left on the short end of the stick. You felt disappointed. I mean, think of a man who has been working for a company for 10 years, right? He's been loyal. He's been putting in time. And, and what was even promised to him was if you do your time, at 10 years, we'll revisit this. And the, the owner says, I'll even, I'm probably gonna make you a partner. And so he did that for 10 years. He works really hard. And when his 10 year comes up, his boss actually makes another guy who just came to the company. He's just friends with the boss, and he makes him the, 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 the he gives him the promotion. He makes him a person that is now in a, a place of partnership. That man would leave that job that day, and, and he would feel disappointed. He would, he would actually be, you know, going home and 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 thinking in his mind, I gotta talk to my family, that I didn't get the promotion. His friend would know that he he came up short. And in that he would feel ashamed in a way that is not the way that we've always been heard, but in a way that is disappointing. And and when the apostle Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He's not saying that shame like you've always thought about it. He, literally, a better translation would be, I am not disappointed in the gospel. I'm not disappointed in the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And what that tells me is, back then, there was a group, 2,000 years ago, there was a group of people in the early church that were disappointed in the gospel. Disappointed for some reason There was something about the good news, this this gospel, that was disappointing to them. The good news, what does that mean? We all know that means the good news, but I could actually say, even back then, they could say, hey, this is the gospel of lunch. We get to eat. That's the gospel of lunch. Good news. We get to eat today, right? What they were saying back then when they were declaring the good news the gospel is they were actually quoting a phrase in greek that caesar used and had coined and when he when they would hear the gospel it would literally mean a new king is in a new kingdom a new king is in a new kingdom and so when they went out and said the gospel to somebody these jewish people were talking to mostly other jewish people and they were saying good news there's a new king coming into a new kingdom there's a new king on the scene. This really was good news to the Jews because it meant that if a new king was coming, their promised Messiah was coming, let I mean, know the old king then had to go. Who was, the old, who was the king over them that had a thumb on these Jews 2,000 years ago? It was Rome. It was Caesar, right? And so they were excited. These people, you have to understand, that these people back then, these Jewish people that Jesus first came to, were, were praying for a Messiah, and they were excited that he would come, that their new king would come to establish Israel, and their expectation was he would get rid of Caesar, he would get rid of Herod, pretty much anybody that was their enemies, that's what they were expecting. But when it didn't happen, they were disappointed. And that's why Paul writes to some people and says, disappointed the gospel. Are some light bulbs going off for a second there. Because there was so much disappointment with the gospel. That's why the Paul, Apostle Paul writes the letter and he says, I'm not disappointed. So with that in mind, I want to take you to a story that Pastor Jared preached about last week. And the story goes in Luke chapter 24. And I'll go ahead and put it up on the the screen for you. This story takes place immediately three days after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Everybody say Jesus, okay? And so what happens is we find two of Jesus's followers walking along the road to Emmaus, and we'll pick up the story in Luke chapter twenty-four. This is a real-life story that really did happen. Luke tells us he records that now behold, two of them were traveling. That same day to a village called Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together all of the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and they reasoned. Now listen, Jesus himself, the resurrected Christ, shows up to them. He appears, he drew near, and he went with them. But listen, verse 16, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And there's a very interesting parallel when you study this of scripture in this story with a a, a different story that takes place, a very familiar story, the actual first story of of a guy and a girl named Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. If you remember in the story of the Garden of Eden, there was a man and a woman. It was Adam, the man, Eve, the woman. It was a and a wife. And just like Pastor Jared talked to us last week, many theologians believed that the two on the road to Emmaus were a husband and a wife. Because we're going to learn in a minute that one of them is actually named, and his name is Cleopas, okay? And it's recorded by John in John chapter 19. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, the scene goes downward from Jesus to the foot Of the cross, and John tells us that there are three Marys at his feet. There is Mary, his mother. There is Mary Magdalene, and then there is Mary the Cleopas. And it's interesting that to me that he names Luke tells us that. uh, or actually, he, he names it, she has Cleopas' wife. And then immediately after, when we read in Luke chapter 24, in verse 13, it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. Verse 16 says, But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. So there's a parallel going on between this story, a man and a woman who are, are blinded. They can't see, they can't recognize Jesus. There's something that they can't see. And then if you remember the story about Adam and Eve, it's also a story about a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and they also could not see clearly because, remember, they didn't notice that each of of them were naked. And I've always wondered, how did that happen? Were they naked, but they had like a glowing light around them? Or I don't know what it was, but for some reason, they could not see clearly. For some reason, they were blinded to their own nakedness. In this other story, these people are blinded to who Jesus is. It's something that, that I want to point out to you today. And the passion of God back with Adam and Eve was although they were blind, although they did not notice each other's nakedness, that at some point the scales would fall off of their eyes. And they, by feasting in a relationship with God and maturing and growing, by feasting from the tree of life, remember they were supposed to eat not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but from the tree of life, which represents God. As they feasted from the tree of life, there would be an opportunity, if they would continue to do that, that they would have now learned one another in relationship, they would grown closer To one another, and naturally the scales would fall off their eyes in God's way, and they would appreciate one another. But what happened is Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden. What did they do? They eat not from the tree of life, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we read that immediately scales fell off of their eyes, and they realized that each of them were naked. And God shows up in the garden, and what does God say? He says, Adam, where are you? And Adam is hiding in the bushes. He is, he is trying to cover himself up. Why is he doing this? It's because he's disappointed. He is disappointed in himself. He is ashamed of himself and he is naked. He knows he's naked. He's embarrassed and he doesn't want God to know that he's naked, but it's too late, right? God already knows he's naked. God already knows everything about God knows everything about you before you even figured out the things about you. And God says to Adam, not, he he, he doesn't say, you know, did you get naked? He says, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? And I think God was asking them that question. I think God is still asking that question today to the church. The spirit of God is sending out a message saying, church, who told you you were deficient? Who told you that you were lacking? Because if you hear the voice, this voice telling you that you don't measure up or you are deficient or you are lacking something, I'm telling you today, it's not God. It's not the voice of God. It's not the Holy Spirit. The voice of the Holy Spirit comes not to inform you of your lack. Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit comes to inform you of who you already are in Christ, of what he's already done for you, that you are loved. That Jesus told us in John 16, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict you of righteousness. So when you start to forget that you are righteous, how many know that the Holy Spirit comes to remind you of the finished work, right? He comes to open your eyes and bring clarity of his grace and his love. And so Adam, he wants to our deficiencies. that they're naked and they, of course, cover themselves because that is always our natural response to our deficiencies. When, when we see our deficiencies, when it's pointed out to us, we always try to cover ourselves up our deficiencies, whatever they are. The deficiencies are natural in this story, in Adam and Eve, in the book of Genesis, but oftentimes I have found that in my life, they're mental, they're emotional, they're relational, and so when you and I see clearly, when we start to see a deficiency that we have in our own lives, there is a knee-jerk action to do what first, just like Adam did, just like Eve did, to cover it up. It's to cover it up so that we can either fix it on our own or we cover it up so we can act like it's not there, right? If you can't see it, then it doesn't exist, right? That's what we try to do. And so we see a parallel in this story to these followers on the road to Emmaus and the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. They're both two people, a man and a woman, who can't see clearly. Now let's go back to the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verse 16, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Luke records that their eyes were restrained. They were blinded somehow that they could not see Jesus. They did not know him. In other words, they were blind. They they weren't blind to the ground and they weren't blind to the sky, but how many know they were blind to the reality that was right in front of them? Think about that. And the reason that they're blind to the reality that's right in front of them is is a direct result from a prophecy that we're really going to talk about today that Jesus said of himself, and I'll put it up on the screen for you, and if you're taking notes, put this down, and just go and think about this a lot this next week. This is a very weird prophecy that Jesus gave about himself. And John tells us in chapter 9, verse 39, that Jesus said this, For judgment I have come into this world, that those do not see may see, and who may see blind. This scripture has always messed with me. Because I've always believed that Jesus makes blind eyes see. Like if I was that, let me, let's try it right now. I'm going to ask you guys, from reading the scripture, did Jesus go up to blind people and make them see? Okay, we all agree on that. I, I'm with you. I'm there with you. But tell me if you remember the story that Jesus went up to the person that could see with glasses and a stick, walking stick, and made them blind. Tell me that story. This always messed with me. Like, okay, I can get behind Jesus making people that are blind see just can't get behind Jesus making people that can see that he can now start to, to make them Look at what he said. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see. Everybody say, and. Come on, say, and. That those who may see may be made. Really weird, because based upon the text, Jesus says that he's going to blind some people. Think about Have you noticed that before? That Jesus says, I've come for those that are blind that they would be able to see, but I've also come for those who can see that they may be made blind. It sounds to me like Jesus believes that there are people who can't see that need to see something, and there are people that can see that need to stop being able to see whatever they're seeing. But also something that sticks out to this scripture that is really weird. And I had to go and study this because the first two words he says, for judgment. This was always taught to me that Jesus came into this world to judge this world, which Jesus also said in another part that he didn't come to judge the world. And that always is like, that I would see that it says for judgment. Well, guess what? When you start to really study the original Greek, that word for is that's our english word it's translated as four but the original word is e-i-s and it's pronounced like our frozen water ice everybody say ice so right here in this scripture at the first of this sentence what was translated ice into four you go guys this is 1774 times in the bible it's all over. And most of the time, it is translated not as four, but into. I'll put some examples for you. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And having come into the house, that word into is ice. Um, Matthew 2, 20. Here it is again. And go into, that word is actually ice. It's translated as into. Go into the land of Israel. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Casting a large net into. The sea. That would be really weird if they would have translated it as four and having come for the house and go for the land of Israel, cast in a large net for the sea. So here, did they make uh, the translator tried to make. He makes a decision to go ahead and translate this word not as in two but four. It's it's a mistranslation. Really, it should say Jesus said to them into judgment have come into this world. He's saying I have come. Not to judge this world, but I have come into this world to be judged. And that happened. Does it make sense now? Into judgment, I've come into this world that by me being judged, people, he continues, will be able to see and those who can see There's some things that I need to make them blind to. In other words, I want to take upon me the blindness of people that can't see and I want to take upon me the sight of people that think they can see. But both of these statements have to do with where we're going this year. Clarity, look at your neighbor and say clarity. There's some clarity that's coming. You see, there are some things in your life that you need to be blinded to. Amen, good preaching. And there are some things in your life that you need to have your eyes open to. This is the point that Jesus is making. Adam and Eve were created, and their eyes, when they were created, they worked except that God had blinded them to their own nakedness. That was something that they in their life at that moment needed to be blinded to. God wanted them, as they ate from the tree of life, as they grew in relationship with him, as they grew in relationship with each other, as they continued to eat from the tree of life, representing God, slowly these scales would come off. Slowly through relationship, they would learn to appreciate one another. Slowly, they would notice each other were naked, and they would love each other through that whole process, but they cheated. They skipped the metamorphosis phase. Have you ever heard of metamorphosis before where, what, we got a caterpillar that's supposed to go into this cocoon, and there is some time. And guess what? That time, it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And, and, and what happens is when they get into that cocoon, they start to go into metamorphosis. And there's a part of the process that when as they grow and as they transform, they're literally it takes some time and they start building some strength and they start doing. But the process of themselves breaking out of the cocoon is what makes them go into their purpose, which is to fly. But if you go in and you tear that cocoon on the first day, the second day, the third day, you do it before it's supposed to happen. You literally paralyze that butterfly and you make it useless to the world it's supposed to be in because its purpose is to fly. And and many people, what happens is I, I can tell you we start to try to shortcut the process of the Holy Spirit transforming us. We start to try to speed things up. I found this to be true in my life as a pastor. I, I became a pastor for the first time being a lead pastor when I was 26 years old. I wanted to see people transformed. I wanted to see them transformed into the people that God had called them to be. But what I found is transformation is a painfully slow process. And I did not Patience. It was, seemed so slow for these people to grow. And I would start to think, why are these people still living like heathens when I'm doing such a good job preaching? I mean, I did, it was just my nerves. I was like, what's wrong with these people? Why don't they change? Giving them the word of God. So I thought, you know what, I really need to do is I need to speed this thing up and I need to make a. Class. Five Steps to Transformation. We need to have a transformation class. And what I did is I put these people in this class and I put a time date on their transformation. And what I did is I cheated them and I paralyzed them and I ripped open the cocoon. I didn't allow them to grow. I didn't allow them to go through the process because people can't change just by doing stuff. They can only change, listen to me, by taking a good look At the tree of life, eating from the tree of life, which is Jesus. Come on, somebody. And allowing then Jesus to blind you of your deficiencies and to blind you of your shame and to blind you of your condemnation so that now he can open your eyes, come on, to who you are in his eyes. Truth. Sometimes, please hear me, guys. Sometimes you need to be blinded to things that you are focused on right now. These things that aren't doing you any good, they're holding you back, and I can tell you that it is a good thing that Jesus at times makes sighted people blind. Does that make sense now? When you're focused all the time on your deficiencies in this life and your failures in this life and your guilt and your focus on your problems and your focus on your shames, Jesus comes to say, "I come to make you blind to those things." I've come that your blind eye, your, your, your sighted would be, would be blind. I have come so you can finally have the clarity and open your eyes to the truth of who you are in me. And so Jesus says the only way to make that happen, he says, is into judgment I came. He was judged, not by the world. He was put on a cross, not by the world. And he says, I'm going to pay for your stuff. I'm going to take it all upon myself. I'm going to be for you, what you yourself could not do for your own, what you can't even comprehend what I'm doing. I am going to blind some of the things that you need to be blinded to and give to so that the new you, come on somebody, will start to come out of the What happens in this story that we're seeing Now, a parallel to the stories. What we're seeing is a picture of a new Adam and a new Eve on this road to a mess. The first Adam and Eve did it wrong, right? They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good. They, They sped up the process. They said, we don't want to go through metamorphosis. But these, 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 this is Luke chapter 24. Let's pick back up in the story in verse 17. And he said to them, what conversation Jesus Jesus said this, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk? Listen to what he says? They're not just walking, but he can tell that they are. A woman, and then the, then the one whose name was Cleopas, there's our named character, answered and says to Jesus, and he knows Jesus, but he can't recognize him for some reason, he's blinded to it. And he says to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here in these days? Verse 19. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, playing dumb, what things? I mean, if anybody knows what just happened through the death, the burial, and the resurrection is the person that died was buried and raised. And he's like, what things? Jesus is playing dumb right here. So they asked him, they said, They said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. They're looking at Jesus of Nazareth. And they say, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now listen, just a few days before, they were telling everybody, this is the Messiah. This is the chosen one. This is the one that is greater than Moses that came to deliver his people from something. But his people, Israel, he came to deliver. And now they just say, he was a prophet not a Messiah. He was mighty indeed, and they were sad. They were downcast, and he was mighty in word also before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. Who did that? Their own chief priests and their rulers delivered Jesus up, they say, to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. How did they kill him? Crucified him it's the judgment that Jesus came for. They're describing it right here. It was not a judgment of God. It was, it was judgment of, of people because we know that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So to verse 21, but we who are stranger, we were hope that it was he who was going to redeem who? The world? Israel. There's disappointment in that phrase. Everybody say disappointment. Come on, say disappointment. Did you hear it? They were saying we were hoping that he was the one. We're we're disappointed that he wasn't. We knew three days ago, we knew that we knew that we knew he was the one. We were excited about the future. We're disappointed. We thought surely he was the Messiah that was going to redeem Israel, not thought surely he was the one that was going to redeem the world from sin that's not what they what he said right but israel from who from rome and to really understand their disappointment you need to understand a prophecy that the jewish people believed 2000 years ago now listen we didn't grow up back then that's why we need to study this stuff out and understand not see it from an american's perspective in 2020 but we need to go into where they were study their people and know what they knew what they thought when they were hearing these things. And so there was a very famous prophecy that was given by John the Baptist's dad, whose name was Zechariah. He was a priest, okay? And what happens is in the, the first part of the book of Luke, there's this announcement to the prophet Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, that he's gonna have a son, and the son's gonna be John the Baptist. They didn't say, Name him John the Baptist, but they were just saying, You're gonna have a son. And he was so excited, and in his excitement, we'll pick up the, the story and the prophecy that he says that you need to understand this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, Luke tells us that Zechariah was, he was excited, he was filled with the Spirit, and he began to prophesy, and he said, pay a close attention to this prophecy, I'll put it up on the, the screen for you. He said, blessed is the Lord God of America. Is that what it says? No, blessed is the Lord God of, of, so he's a Jew, he's a Jewish man, he's a Jewish priest, and you got to get in, in his mindset, he's so excited, and he declares, blessed is the Lord of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed America, no, what does he say, his people, who are his people, this is the same thing that we find this guy Cleopas and his wife Mary on the road to Emmaus saying, we thought he was the one. He was the one that was going to come. This is, he has prophesied about that Messiah who will redeem the, his people, the, not the world, but his people. Verse 69, and he raised, he has raised up a horn of salvation. I wonder who the salvation they're wanting to be saved from for us in the house of his servant david again we talked about that 2 weeks ago the prophecy was that the messiah would come through the lineage of david so we're still not talking about america we're talking about this jewish people these hebrew people verse 70 he spoke by his mouth of his holy prophets been since the world began pay close attention to the next one that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. I wanna stop right there for a moment. I wanna point out something to you. Please remember that when Jesus came to the world, he did not come to the world, he came to his own people. Why? Because they were the only ones that knew about Him. They were the only ones that believed in Jehovah God all these other people on the world are believing in a multiple, right? And so there's this one group of people, the Hebrew children, who believe in him. That's why he comes to them, right? And we understand too that the Jews back then were a proud people and they had gone through very tough times. They had gone through hundreds of years of oppression from the Egyptians. Y'all remember that story? Also from the Babylonians, they had been oppressed by the Assyrians. They had now been Presently, 2,000 years ago when this is written, they're presently being oppressed by who? Rome, the Roman empires. They were sick and tired of being ruled over. They were sick and tired of not being free. And and they, they all would believe that Jehovah God would then one day send this Messiah, this great deliverer who would be greater than Moses, this Messiah that would come to set them free, not everybody free but Israel free and put them back on top. That was their view of the kingdom of God. Israel being first and not last. Israel being the kings of the mountain and not being oppressed anymore. It was all about, all about them. And so they loved this prophecy from Zechariah because that's exactly what they were looking and hoping for he will come he will redeem us from whoever is oppressing us at this current time it's rome and that is who our enemy is they were not thinking about their enemy being satan their enemy had a face and his name was caesar okay and so this prophecy goes out from zechariah he's going to redeem us from the hand of our enemies and they're like yes. and he's going to bring us to the covenant that he promised our fathers It's all about Israel. It's all about, I mean, think about being a Gentile in this day and age when all this stuff is going out. You're left out, Jack. Any care for you, it's not about you. It's all about. In verse 73, he continues, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, our father, not your father, our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. We're so excited about that might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of. So you see, they thought that the redemption of God was God taking them out from the oppression and the hand of their present enemy, which was Rome, but the redemption was not that way. The redemption that came was to buy them out of the law and the curse that had come through Moses and that was going to be able now to skip back to the original covenant that he just said that was made with Abraham and when he made the covenant with Abraham, if you remember, it was for the whole world. I'm going to bless you so I can bless the whole world, not just the Hebrew people. See, they thought they needed to be redeemed from Rome, but what they really needed to be redeemed from was from Moses that cut like a knife. It's the message of Jesus. And I can tell you that the things haven't changed much from 2,000 years ago because there's a lot of people in the church that when we start talking about kingdom, it always, the message then and the conversation always reverts over to politics and that the kingdom needs to take over Congress and the kingdom needs to take over the government because what A lot of times in the American church is we let every argument collapse into the political realm when we're talking about the kingdom. We make the kingdom um, kingdom statement, right? And then we go, which party lines up with what we believe to be the kingdom? Okay, I'm going to go for that party. And then that puts a dividing line in our pulpits. It puts a dividing line in our churches because for some reason, We think that politics should align with the kingdom. And when we do that, we are as blind as first century Israel. Because the kingdom never involved Caesar. Guys, the kingdom never involved Rome. Think about this. That is not how God changed the world. It wasn't through politics. That's how they thought he was going to change the world. He came and had a personal relationship with people and people changed the world. His kingdom is bigger than the political problems in America. Listen to me. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe that there are Christians in other places, other continents other than America? Do too. Do you believe that there are believers in Asia and in And in Europe and in Australia and South America. I, I do. Okay. And do you believe that every day the believers in Asia and in Africa and in Europe and in Australia and South America get on their knees and beg and cry out to God to steer the next democratic election in America that God would now funnel his agenda somehow through the halls of American Congress so that America could overcome the world and get on top of the world and be the rulers of this world. No, they don't. If you think so, then you might be the disciple on the road to Emmaus whose eyes had been blinded to what Jesus really came to do. The reality that was in front of them, they could not see. He didn't come to redeem you from that filthy other political party, and whichever political party that you're in today, you view the other one as the other filthy political party, right? He didn't come to deliver us from them. Jesus came for something greater than that. 2,000 years ago, the Jews had a hard time seeing this, and 2,000 years ago, we as Americans had a hard time seeing this. For too long, we have thought that the kingdom of God was going to be made up of people that were good people that were doing good things. But I can tell you that the kingdom of God is not reliant upon good people doing good things. The kingdom of God is not spread by you doing good deeds to your neighbor. The kingdom of God has has moved from point A to point B to point C by people believing that their neighbor is more important than themselves. And that their neighbor who could actually be what we view to be our enemy, deserves a higher place of honor than even ourselves. Jesus gave us a command, and that command was love one another. Not as you have loved yourself, not as you loved yourself, but as I have loved you. So what we need to start to do is we need to love everybody and serve everybody as Jesus would love everybody and serve everybody. But you keep thinking that Hillary is your enemy and that Trump is the enemy and that you need deliverance from Trump so your redemption doesn't come this year. Whichever side that you're on, and by the end of the year, you are left disappointed. And what you need, you need Father to come and blind your eyes to some things that you're seeing. Come on, some. And open this is something that you. Back to this story. These two people were walking down the road to Emmaus. And guess what? Side that they believed in. And he. And Caesar's still on the throne. And nothing's changed. They're not on. Politics is not what's. This is what they had expected. This is what they, for decades and decades, this is what they prayed for. And get this, what they don't even realize is it's only going to get worse as the church starts to grow and Rome still stays in power and starts murdering them and starts bringing more down on them After Jesus leaves, the church finally gets it, finally does get some clarity. And they start, these Jewish believers start going to other Jewish believers and saying, man, we missed it. It was not about deliverance from Caesar. Come on, somebody. It was completely different. They're like, we needed deliverance. That Jesus brought was not deliverance from Rome, but deliverance from Moses. And this is what got Paul stoned. And this is what got Peter killed. That type of talk. This is what got Jesus killed for judgment to this world. Paul tells us we are redeemed from, when you start talking about redemption, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, I'll put it up on the screen for you. He tells to this church in Galatia, he says, Christ has redeemed us. And remember, this is not to you. He did not send this letter to you. Let's say that Chris wrote me a text, but Lisa got it, and he told me, "I'm upset with you. I don't want to be your friend anymore." And Lisa got it and went, "Huh? How could Chris say that to me? He didn't want to be my friend anymore. That wasn't to you. It was to me." Think about this. Galatians chapter three, verse thirteen. Christ has redeemed us who is us. Paul is a Jew who was previously under the law, and he says he has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's redeemed us from the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed. Please pay attention to this. They would have understood what he's saying here, but he says, for it is written. He quotes their Hebrew scripture, Everyone who hangs on the tree, the word redeem means brought out of one system and placed into another system. And what did they say on the road to Emmaus, these two? They said, we thought he was the guy that was going to redeem the world of sin? No, redeem us from Israel. That's what they were thinking. They're disappointed. He was going to deliver Israel, and now he's dead. They were disappointed because they were blind to the truth. And the truth that they didn't understand is that Jesus's death was not to redeem Israel from Rome. His death was to redeem those people from the curse of the law that had come through Moses, which they put Moses at the highest of high, man. They thought this law was the greatest thing ever. And when they started to see this, how did Jesus deliver them from the curse of the law? Having become the curse is what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, For us, you see, it's written in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-one, verse uh, Deuteronomy chapter twenty-one, that curses everybody who hangs on a tree. So listen to this: when the chief high priest and the leaders, they didn't like Jesus. They didn't believe he was Messiah. They didn't like that people were believing that he was the Messiah. So they made a plan, and they knew that. In their scripture, it was said that if anybody dies on the tree, they are cursed of God. This is in their law. So listen to this. In the Jewish culture back then, how did they kill people? The Jewish culture. They picked up stones and they killed them. So these guys said, we got a plan. We're going to cut this thing at the root. There will be no Jews following this guy. They, didn't, they wanted him dead, but they had to do it a certain way. So they take him, not in front of their people to be killed by their people, they take him to the only government in the world at that time that kills people by hanging on a tree. I had a conversation with a Jewish man a couple years ago, and he told me this, I have no idea how you can follow this Jesus and call him the Messiah, when it is clear in our Torah that anybody hangs on a tree, and that's how the way that they die, are cursed of God. So when he died, the, the, Roman, the, the, um, the Israelites' leaders, the Hebrews' leaders, the Jewish leaders were like, okay, you can't call him a Messiah anymore because you know that it, it was all a plan. You know that he's cursed of God. How, how can you believe? that he is the Messiah. Well, I tell you, I can completely understand how we can follow Jesus and believe that he's the Messiah because Paul had a revelation that said, I'll tell you what the curse is all about, that Jesus was being made a curse on your behalf, not by God, but by people. It was all the plan of the people, and he did this because you were cursed, in that day, every time that they tried to keep the law perfectly, could they do that? No, so they were cursed right? They could not find redemption. They could not find righteousness. And so he becomes the curse for them. Come on, somebody. Because back then, there's no way that somebody could do all the perfect things that humans need to do to consider themselves holy under the law. That's why Jesus now brings, he, he completes the old covenant and brings in a new covenant. Amen? That's why I'm so good. What I'm about to say, that I was never under the law. Have you ever thought about that? The law only applied to those who people that were born under the law and existed under the old covenant. And Jesus completely did away with the old covenant when he established a new covenant. The old covenant was completely done away with after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then in 70 AD, what happened is the temple that they were currently using to still practice the old covenant law that didn't matter anymore. It was destroyed and therefore they could not bring sacrifices for the remissions of sin anymore. It was completely done away with. You see, it's recorded in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 18 that redemption was for those who sinned under the old covenant. And guess what? You and I have never been under the old covenant. In fact, John even goes as far as to say He defines sin as transgression of the law, which again, you and I have never been under the law because it was a covenant that was made between God and natural Israel. That covenant was never made with us. That is good news. So back to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, because we need to get to 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree of Abraham might come upon who? This was mind-blowing to them when they heard this. That the blessing of Abraham, they thought it was all about us. And he says, no, remember, it was never all about us. The blessing of Abraham was for the entire world. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we of the Spirit through faith. You see, the original covenant that made with Abraham was not just for the children of Israel. He was making a covenant with Abraham to bless the entire world. Amen. Good preaching. Hallelujah. And so there's later what happens is Jesus shows up on the scene to create a new and a perfect covenant by taking the judgment now into himself so that you and I could take the blessing into ourselves. And that is something that's beautiful. You and I have entered into this covenant. We were never a part of the old covenant. We have only entered into the new covenant, not because of something that we have done, but because of something that Jesus already did. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8, Paul tells us, sacrifice and offering, burn offerings and sacrifice for sin. God, you never desired nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law but jesus said behold i have come to do your will O god he takes away the first which was the old covenant the law that he may establish the second which is the new covenant of love and grace come on somebody by that will whose will god's will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus once and for all let's get back to luke 24 we got to land this plane, right? Because the way this story ends is spectacular. Luke chapter 24, verse 21. Remember, we were on the road to Emmaus, right? We were hoping, they said to Jesus, disappointed, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and a certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb earlier astonished us when they did not find. Jesus's body, they came saying that he had also, they had also seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus is alive, and and so they're telling this to Jesus, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and, and found it just as the woman had said, but him, they did not see, he was gone, but he's right in front of them, this is crazy, then he said to them, the one that they're talking about, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets that have spoken. They'd always died about a Messiah that was come. That's what Jesus is talking about. Ought not the Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. Verse 27, and beginning, oh, come on, man. He starts preaching to him. Beginning at Moses, the law, and the prophets. Come on, he goes all the way from the Torah all the way to the prophets talking about Isaiah, he starts telling them he's expounded on these things to them in all the scripture, the things that he says are concerning himself. This passage is so important whenever you look at the Old Testament. Guys, if you're looking at the Old Testament as a list of rules and regulations and instructions for us, Jesus tells you, you're missing me. He explained that to them on the road. Get this, uh, um, because we see in verse 27, Jesus, he quotes, he preaches to them. Verse 28, then they drew near to the village, all of them together where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him. I don't know if they huddled up and did a little defensive move on him and said, up with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass at the table with them. He's doing this on purpose. Remember, before the death, burial, and the resurrection, he was with them at a table. Anybody remember that? Okay. Remember what he said? When you eat this, when you take this cup, when you take this, you do this in remembrance of. Okay. So, he says, says, now, he sat at the table with them, and he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. He gave it, and immediately their eyes were open. Here comes the garden scene all over again, but this time it's done right. Remember the story. They eat not of things that they should be looking at or their own deficiencies, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, not that. That's not what they're supposed to be, but they did, and scales came from their eyes, and they saw that they were naked, and they start to cover themselves up, and they don't go into a relationship with God. They draw back from God. Here in this story, Jesus allows them to consume himself. The blood that represented by this wine and the bread, his body represented by the bread, and the scales fall off their eyes, and they have a revelation And they know him again. And the end result that they say to one another in verse 32 is, remember when he was speaking to us the other day, and he was declaring that all of those things that the prophets spoke about was him, and it was the Messiah. We've missed this whole thing. They said when he was doing that, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And when he opened the scriptures, to us. Jesus didn't literally have a scroll. He had it memorized and he was quoting to them things that they knew. In other words, they can now see because they have consumed of the bread of life from the tree of life. Adam and Eve could see their nakedness because they consumed of the wrong tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the two of them on the road to Emmaus can see now God's goodness and they have clarity. Somebody say clarity because they why they've been eating of the body and the blood of Jesus. In other words, they found the right tree and now they can see what they're supposed to see. As long as you keep consuming your own knowledge of what to do and your own knowledge of your own nakedness and your own knowledge of your deficiencies and your failures and your faults, which, to say this, you're going to find in 2020 at a lot of church. they're going to get you to consume of what you have done wrong and your deficiencies and what you've done instead of that we want 2020 pastor Jared we want to bring clarity man we want to connect you to the correct tree tree so that you can now see what you're supposed to see. And you can, when that happens, he also blinds you to things that you're not supposed to see. When you consume who he is and who, what he has already done, his finished work and how much he loves you, as that happens, scales fall from eyes. You have clarity. Jesus makes your eyes blind, your blind eyes to see so that you can see the truth, but he also blinds you to the things that are untrue. And that's what's going to happen in 2020. And the only way that this works in the story with these two on the road to Emmaus, when the scales fall off their eyes, is when they had been with Jesus and consumed of who he was. And this year at the exchange, this is what we're going to be doing. I hear the Spirit of God saying, it's time to eat more lamb. Oh, we got to change our diet this year? I'm talking about an animal. I'm talking about. I'm talking about is the Lamb of God, it's Jesus. And when you come to the exchange this year, you will be feasting more and more on the Lamb and on his love and on his finished work, come on, and his endless mercies and his grace as you take him in, just like in the story, It's set on fire. And I'll get the guys to come up and help me close. So we've been saying, we want people and their hearts set on fire for God. Well, how are you going to do that? Oh, we're going to play the perfect song. Oh, we're going to, we're going to focus people on their deficiencies. It doesn't work that way. We're going to have to do to get people to have their hearts burning with in them is to get them to focus on Jesus, on the resurrected Savior. They have to stop thinking that Jesus came to redeem them. From the problems of their life And from their Romes And from their Caesars Because if you think that is what life is all about Guess what At the end of 2020 You are going to be disappointed What we have produced In the church is disciples on the road to Emmaus With blinders on their eyes But I say Pastor Jared no longer I say what God said to you clarity. I say that 2020 is a year of clarity. 2020 is a year where we consume Jesus and the scales fall off our eyes and we begin to see the reality of who we are in him and what the kingdom of God really looks like. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet this morning.